Um, so welcome. The cool thing about songs at Neighborhood Church is like you start the songs and, and like there's no one here. And then by the time you're done singing, the whole church has arrived. It's kind of cool. Uh, the spirit of God arrives with you. So I'm glad that you showed up um, and glad to be with you. Uh, if you're if you're home is neighborhood church, then you know how much I loathe doing announcements on a Sunday morning, and yet here we are. Um, there's a couple of things coming up that I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that you're aware of. Um, one is that this evening, we're going to be doing a communion celebration, and if you've never done a communion celebration with us, um, we do kind of a holistic, uh, we like to think of it as a first century style communion, where um, we gather together, we take the bread and the cup, which is normally, uh, which is what most people think about when they do communion. But we also uh, try to take that model out of uh, John chapter 13, and we wash one another's feet, and then we share a meal together. And all of that is, uh, is how we celebrate communion, that God comes with us. So if you never participated, like I, if, and you're kind of weirded out by that, like that's cool, just come and you can observe. Um, but it really is a special time of worship. And so that's this evening at 5 um, then starting Monday morning, tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, we're going to open the Bible to Genesis 1-1, and we're going to start reading uh, until we get to the end of Revelation. So we're going to read the whole Bible cover to cover out loud over the next six days, starting Monday, and so I'd encourage you to come and participate with that. If you don't show up, that means I have to read it all by myself. So I'd love it if you would come and, uh, and do some reading too. Um, we've got pre-sign-up slots there on the table out front, um, or you can go to, if you're watching online, um, you can go to ocalaneighborhood.church slash Bible. That'll take you to the online sign-up sheet, and you can register there. Um, and the next week is Easter. So lots going on. Those are my announcements for the morning, and I've, I have done what I came to do. Okay, let's get started. Um, good morning, church. <laughs> I am uh, I'm glad to be together with you, and um, we are finishing this morning a series called Light in the Dark, um, and we really have been wrestling with the question of, when we look at the world, we see a bunch of people who claim the name of Jesus, we see them who will put his name on a t-shirt or, or fly a banner, um, but people over here who are saying that they follow Jesus and people over there saying they follow Jesus are actually doing opposite things. And so in a world where it seems like everybody wants him on their team, how do we know that we are actually following the true Jesus? How do we know that we've got a good idea and understanding of who he is, what his character is like, um, what he would do, how he'd operate in the world? And uh, we've been looking at and trying to answer that question through a letter that we have in the Bible called 1 John. This is a letter that was written by one of Jesus' closest friends, um, closest disciples, and uh, he's kind of an interesting cat. He's, he's interesting to read. Um, for us, as like Western American thinking type people, we like to think like the Greeks like to think. We like to think in bullet points and outlines and structure that we want to flow to the argument that builds upon one another. John's not like that. John's a Hebrew, and so what he'll do is he'll make a point by like circling around it five or six times and making some sideways points before he, and so by the end of everything, like you kind of understand a little bit of what he's trying to say, but then you want to go back to the beginning. It's kind of like uh, your crazy Uncle John, sitting on the front porch with crazy Uncle John, you've got the cicadas howling, and he's seen some stuff, he knows some things, but you're never quite sure what he's driving at, and so as you're listening to him, you're like, man, like I really want to absorb what you're saying, but I, I like, what do I do with some of this? So, 
All that to say, uh, sometimes when we come to the Bible, we like to pick it apart and cut it into fortune cookies and take like a verse at a time. You can't do that with Crazy Uncle John because what he said in one verse, he's going he's gonna to alter in the next verse. They all kind of hang together. Um, and everything that he's been saying, everything that he's been building, we saw in the very first week um, this, this really simple phrase that he's been unpacking and uh, that says this, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So the whole letter is kind of unpacking what does that mean? What does that mean for uh, morality? What does that mean for how we live? What does that mean for how we express our faith? Um, and the good news is, if this is your first time engaging with this uh, series, the good news is we're getting the conclusion here, and we're actually like getting to the point. So remember, like I said, he'll, he'll make his point by talking around it. Like He's going to land the plane this morning. So if you skipped everything else, like you'll, the, hopefully you'll get a good overview of the book, uh, by, or a good overview of the letter um, by our conversation today, if I can learn to see it on the page. So we are going to be in 1 John chapter 5, if you want to navigate there. If you'd like to use these blue Bibles, um, it's going to be on page 1269. We've got these blue Bibles tucked up underneath the chairs. Um, and that's what I'm using because I can read it from space if I were in orbit. Um, 1 John chapter 5, page 1269. And man, I hate doing announcements. I'm all messed up. I need some prayer. So would you, uh, would you pray together with me? Uh, I'm gonna be, we're going to be praying together the disciples' prayer. Um, this is not a magic spell or anything, but it's helpful if we're going to pray it together um, to use the same words. So let's, let's pause um, and, and let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 1 John chapter 5 beginning in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay, so we're going we're gonna to pause there and try to wrap our heads around some of this. Uh, again, like he's, been, he's been kind of talking in circles for, five, for four chapters now, and he's, he's landing the plane. So he's making some concluding remarks um, that if we'd sat down together and read the whole letter together this morning, it would make sense. Okay, now I know where all of these strings are coming from. Um, but he starts off with, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Um, the way that we kind of interact with the name of Jesus, like we think of Christ as his last name, like Jesus Christ. Um, but Jesus, anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, uh, Christ is actually a title. 
It's not his last name. Uh, they wouldn't really do last names in that day and age. They'd do like either your dad's name. So he would be, uh, well, they never referred to him as Jesus, son of Joseph, because Joseph wasn't his dad. Um, but they'd refer to him as Jesus of Nazareth, because that's the town that he grew up in. So they'd refer to you either by your dad's name or by the town that you grew up in, Jesus of Nazareth. But Christ is a title. Um, and it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew word, Meshua, which is Messiah. So anyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that's been specially picked out by God to save the Jewish nation. Like that's, it's a very narrow concept. Um, And there's tension in that the Jews and and the, the nation of Israel believed for their whole existence that when Messiah come, Messiah would come and save the Jews. And so when Jesus came and he actually did ministry to people who were not Jews, they called them Gentiles, they were, they were like, obviously this guy isn't the Messiah because Messiah comes for the Jews. But what they didn't understand was that the saving that God was going to do in the world would not just be for the Jews, but it would be through the Jews for the whole world. So anyone who believes that Jesus is the, the fulfillment of God's plan in the Old and New Testament, that he is the Messiah, the Savior, Uh, is somebody who has been born of God. So we've got uh, uh, the church that I grew up in had this kind of dichotomy of if you believe the right thing, then everything's going to be great in your life. There's a a, um, spectrum. There's a spectrum of unbelief and belief. And as long as you fall on the right side of the belief spectrum, that you actually do have a belief, and your belief is right, then everything's going to be good in your life. Which is true. Anyone who believes that Jesus Christ has been uh, is that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. If you if you believe that those are true things about God uh, or about Jesus, then you're on the, the the right side of the belief spectrum, and there's something that happens in you. That belief leads to a birth, but that's not the whole picture of what faith is. A genuine faith is not just. Uh, Uh, signing off on a list of doctrinal beliefs of saying, I believe that this man, Jesus, who was born around 33 AD, or that he was the son of God, that he was the Messiah. Like, I believe that that is a true statement. Like, that's not, that's not the whole picture of what faith is, of what John is trying to communicate is faith. There's belief is a component of it, but, and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So he's including not only belief, but also obedience. If you move from disobedience and not obeying what God said into obedience, then like that's a genuine saving faith. But, but just reading, like, reading this paragraph, we see that that's not even a complete picture too. There's another axis of love. That, we have, that what Jesus is expecting of us is to believe what is true, obey and live out things that are true, but to express our faith with a spirit of love, genuine love, caring for the best interests of another person without trying to manipulate them and get something back in return. Gosh, that's a lot of words. I'm really sorry. Um, 
do you get what I'm saying? There's, there's, the church that I grew up in was like, what do you believe? That's all that matters about you. I see other churches, hear other churches are like, well, do you love or do you hate? And if you love or you hate, then that's all that matters about you. Like, it doesn't matter what's true or not true. And the picture of faith, like, you could go through this letter and pick out different fortune cookies of Uncle John's sayings and, and believe any one of these things is isolated from the other. But the picture that he's trying to paint is that a genuine saving faith in Jesus is one that expresses all three components of this. It's dynamic. And man, I fall short every single day of my life. We know God as we wholly, wholly, entirely practice what he said. Not just believing, not just obeying, not just loving, but wholly practicing everything that he said. He says here, too, um, by this we know we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. That's kind of a, a strange thing. Like, why would I care whether I love the children of God? Why would I care whether I love people in church? Like, what, what does that matter? Um, he, say, he has made the case previously in the letter that if you love God and you love God well, it'll actually, uh, that vertical relationship of love will actually get expressed horizontally to all of the relationships in your life. If you love God well, you will also love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying, well, how do you know if you love your neighbor as yourself? Well, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll also obey God's commandments. So all these things are kind of tied up together. Um, if love, if A equals B then also B equals A. If I love God and then will love my neighbor, if I, love, if I want to know if I love my neighbor, I ask if I love God. The two things go together. Our obedience to God is expressed in our love for one another. And the thing that God is doing in the world is God brings us into his family to shine his righteous love to those who are far from him. Our participation and belonging to his family is not just so that we can get together and feel really good about how much Jesus loves me, but that God can fill my life and change my heart so that I can shine that faith to people who are far from him and who think that God doesn't want anything to do with them. God's desire is for people to be saved. God's desire is to adopt people into his family that are far from him and want nothing to do with him. But... There's a small little paragraph in here, or a small little sentence in here, a little fortune that that drives me nuts. And his commandments are not burdensome. I look at that, and I go, that's a really hard, like, that's a really hard uh, uh, system to live my life out of. If I got every thought, every attitude, every action, every, every time that I choose not to do something, uh, like if I got to look through this lens of am I, do, am I believing the true things? Am I obeying the right things? Am I, love, am I doing all of these things out of a spirit of love or out of self-preservation? Like if I got to go through, like that's a lot to think about. That's a lot to process. But here John says his, his commandments are not burdensome. I'm like, oh, well, I must be doing something wrong then because that, that's super overwhelming. So what, what is he referring to? I suspect that it has something to do with the passage that we read out of Matthew chapter 11. Um, and Matthew chapter 11 is a really, really interesting, uh, really interesting passage, uh, particularly for those of us that are familiar with like American church. In the context... Uh, things are not going well for Jesus' ministry. So Jesus is preaching, he's teaching, he's healing. 
he is sending out the disciples. He's, he's got these 12 guys, and he's sending them out on mission. Like, hey, go tell people that the kingdom is, is at hand. When they come back to Jesus after having been sent out, like, hey, we, God moved and God did all these, these miraculous things. Like, God is at, is at work in the world. We come back to our teacher. We come back to our rabbi, and there's less cars in the parking lot. The crowds are smaller. It seems like Jesus is becoming less and less popular the more that he talks. And the disciples are wrestling with, how do we, how do we contend with this? We have given our whole lives to follow this man, and it, it seems like everything should be up and to the left. And when we come back from this like, incredible mission, we come back and everything is actually seems like the wheels are falling off. How do we do this? And that's where he prays. Or that's where he begins to teach in Matthew 11 and starts to give pictures of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not like what you expect for it to be. And he gives a whole series of pictures that all communicate that idea, and I don't have time to preach that sermon too. But uh, the conclusion is, um, in, in verse 28, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is the picture? The picture is a picture of a yoke of oxen. And, and what, is it, what is it that they have to do? You've got two oxen that are kind of uh, tied together by this yoke. And that's to kind of keep them balanced. They've got work to do, but they're going to work together as they go. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's saying, look, I just need you to show up and be obedient. I need you to show up and believe the right things. I need you to show up and express your faith in a loving manner. If you do what I've asked you to do, if you carry my yoke with me, your yoke's to me, if you carry my yoke with me, then the results are up to me. All the oxen knows is walk. I just got to walk, and I got to turn when they tell me to turn. Like, that's, that's legitimately it. And that's not nothing. Like, there is, there is a labor involved. They, if there wasn't a labor involved, they'd probably use sheep, right? Like, there's a labor involved. But... The, the ox gives no care at all about what the results are. What is, what is the ox walking for? He's walking to plow the field, but he can't touch the blade. He doesn't have thumbs to be able to manipulate the blade or push it down. Like, that's somebody else's responsibility. And so at this time where the disciples are discouraged and saying, but there are fewer cars in the parking lot, Jesus. Like, I thought we had the right message. He says, look, like, do the work I've called you to do and leave the results to me. I am the one who's plowing the field. The kingdom is mine. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, our three-dimensional faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So <laughs> that's a lot of words. I've been talking for a really long time. What, what do we do with this? Are we burdened for the things that Jesus asks us? Are we burdened to follow the things that Jesus asks us to follow? Or are we trying to take on a burden that's not ours to take? Jesus says, look, I just want you to love your family well. I want you to, to order your family in, in, a, in a way that brings honor to me, and I just want you to love them well. Can you do that? <laughs> well, most days, no. You better give me some coffee because I'm going to need it. And he's like, I got you, Dignity Roasters, here we go. Um, but there's times where I'm like, but Jesus, like, my kid's so obstinate. Like, he just, he doesn't get it. 
He's so arrogant and prideful, and like, like that stuff concerns me. Like, can I, just, can I just rewire his heart? And he's like, I'm not asking you to rewire his heart. I'm asking you to love him well. My yoke is easy. I'm, there's work involved. There's a labor involved. But don't take responsibility for things that aren't yours to have responsibility for. My burden is light. You'll overcome the world if you believe me and you're walking in this three-dimensional faith, but don't take on a burden that's not yours. It's not your job to change your kid's heart. It's not your job to change your boss's heart. It's not your job to change your teacher's heart. That's work that only Jesus can do. So what is he asking us to do? Are we burdened to follow what Jesus asks of us? Or are we burdening ourselves with things that aren't our responsibility? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. <clears throat> Which requires that we understand that we ourselves are not the Messiah. We ourselves are not the Savior of the world. We're putting our faith in Him. Here's our big idea for the morning. Jesus assures us that we are gods as we walk in His light together. You ever feel like sometimes I'm not really sure... <laughs> Like, I'm out here doing work for God. Maybe, maybe he sent me out on a mission or something, and, like, I come back, and the parking lot's empty. Like, what is going on here? Like, am I doing the right thing? Have I, have I invested my life in the right place? And, like, my family's going off. Like, what, what uh, like, I thought if I did good, God would give me good things, and that doesn't seem to be happening. You ever feel like you don't know if you're gods? Jesus assures us that we're gods as we walk in his light together. We feel like we kind of landed that. We're at a good understanding there. Cool, because it's about to get real weird. Are we ready? <clears throat> Crazy Uncle John, verse 6. Here we go. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For these are the three, are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we agree with the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So we'll pause there. We've got some things to work on. He's talking about the testimony of three witnesses. So in a, in a Jewish legal court case, uh, the only, the only um, testimony that was viable was one that had at least three witnesses to testify to the same thing. Uh, well, no, you had to have at least two. You couldn't just have one witness. You had to have at least two. They had to be dudes. That's how Jews work. I'm not saying it's right. That's just how it was. Um, and so he's saying, okay, we've got Jesus who came, uh, who came by water and by blood. Now, uh, I, I talked to you. This is where I got an idea that I didn't explain back then, but these things are tied together to what we talked about, I think, in chapter 2 or chapter 3. Jesus adopted us 
into his family. So there was a, a, a natural birth where all of us are created in God's image. We have an inherent dignity, and by being creations of God, we have a dignity and belong to God. And yet we have a need to be adopted into God's family spiritually. Remember talking about that? It's been a, it's been a minute. Um, so Jesus came not only by water, not only by birth, not only by water through his mother, not only being born, Jesus came not only in the flesh, by water. He not only was born a man, but he also came by blood. He gave a sacrifice that made it possible for the rest of us to be adopted into his family. So we've got the incarnation, uh, Christmas time, Jesus being born to Mary. He came not only by water, but also by blood, which is what we're going to celebrate next, uh, next week, the crucifixion, that he came not only as a man, but also a man who was crucified. So these are the testimonies that Jesus was who he says he was. He came born of a virgin, and he also died the way that God said he was going to die. But, this, um, but he came not only by water, or not by water only, but also by water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is true. So we have a third witness that the Spirit of Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is active in the world, and, and he is the one who's testifying that Jesus is who he says he is. Why, why, is, he, why is he belaboring this point? Chapter 1 began, let me go back, I'll just read it to you real quick, because it's, John was one of Jesus' best friends, and as he begins this letter, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. So John writes this letter from the standpoint of, I'm an eyewitness, I walked with Jesus, and I'm not just telling you spiritual truth, truths um, coming down from like a spiritual mountain like I walked with Jesus we camped together we shared a bathroom like I was there I have seen it I testified and I spent years with that guy and I'm still convinced that he was the son of God is based upon an eyewitness account so he so now he's saying Jesus came not only in the flesh, but he also came being a sacrifice and a propitiation for our sins. But the Spirit also testifies. We've got three, three um, people that are testifying that uh, Jesus is who he says he is. If we receive the testimony of men, if you will take the word of an eyewitness, if you will take my word as a guy who walked with Jesus and camped with Jesus and traveled with Jesus, if you'll take my word, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he's born concerning his son. Not only did I send him in the flesh, not only did I allow him to be crucified in an unjust way, but I res- raised him back to life by the spirit, and now that spirit is active and working. Like, I want you to know this. It began with an eye- eyewitness testimony, but now we see clearly that it was God's testimony all along. A divine witness is greater than a human witness. This is something that God wants you to know. I'm not God. <laughs> Sometimes I like, feel like I have an understanding of him. Um, but there's, there's one thing I don't really get. Like, infinite, almighty creator of the universe wants to communicate with us today. Uh, not only us, but with all of humanity across all of human history. And, like, I'm, I'm thinking there's got to be an efficient way to do this. Like, can't you just, like, speak out of a cloud or something? 
Like, can't you just, can't you make it easy for us? But infinite creator of the universe saw in his wisdom the best way to communicate with us was to have a written testimony and write it down. And this isn't like a theology textbook. Like it would actually be a lot smaller if it was a theology textbook. This is actually stories. Like as we begin to read next, next week, cover to cover the whole thing, like you will see stories of how God worked with people. And as he explains this is who I am. I'm telling you who I am by what I have done. He, that is how God's trying to communicate with us. Like, God wants you to understand something. And one of the things he wants you to know is that Jesus is who he says he was. He is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. He is our only hope in life and death. And he wants for us to overcome the world. Like, that's, that's, we just talked about that. He wants for us to overcome the world. But we overcome the world by being tied to him. And God has bent over backwards to communicate clearly that this Jesus is a historical person and that the things that he did actually, like, uh, that's a different sermon. Jesus wants you to know for a fact that Jesus is who he says he is. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. It's not just, I want you to believe these facts. It's, I want you to get into the story with me. I want you to lay aside your own kingdom and your own life and whatever it is that you think that you're building. Lay those things aside and join with me in what I'm building here. I'm not asking you to put down anything that you can't live without. I'm actually inviting you into eternal life. Not because, like, I really want to make your life miserable, but because I am the one who gave you life. And the work that I want to do in the world is the only work worth doing. Do we trust God for true life? Now, if you've never thought about that, like, there's a, there's a point where you begin to trust God. There's a point where you make a decision like, yes, I'm going to trust God. I don't understand all the mechanics of it, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I want to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and so I'm going to trust him when he says that he's forgiven my sins and I can be right with God. But there's a part where you, trust, where you begin that journey. And if that's you, like if you're taking those first steps, like that's awesome. Like that's the first steps in following Jesus. But maybe we've already like bought into that and we're like, yeah, Michael, I could pass that on the doctrinal exam. Like, yeah, do I trust God for true life? Yes, Jesus Christ is my savior. I believe, I'm saved. How, whatever, I'm born again. Whatever, whatever words and verbiage you wanna, you wanna put into that. But, but for us, like who have walked that path a little while, do we trust God for true life? Are we trusting God today for true life? And that's a question that doesn't go away. That's a question that's not resolved because I'm grumpy when I wake up in the morning. And I'm focused on satisfying my physical hunger or my physical need for caffeine. Do we trust God for true life? What is true life? True life is walking in the light of God's perfect character. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And that's the whole letter. We could go back through it. Um, but as Ryan shared with us last week, Jesus' life provides us the path to walk in light. It's Jesus' life that gives us the way to go. 
if we, if we read the Bible and we, and we discuss the Bible and we come to conclusions about what the Bible's teaching, but the expression of our doctrine does not look like Jesus' life, then there, we've misunderstood something. Either we've un- misunderstood the text or we've misunderstood how to apply it. Do we trust God for true life? Jesus assures us that we are God's as we walk in his light together. Let's close this up uh, and read in verse 13. One more, one more section to talk through. Um, and this one will be a party too. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So there's a purpose statement there. If you want to know whether or not you're in the club, if you want to know whether or not Jesus has saved you, that's the whole reason John wrote this letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we have asked of him. He's a good father. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's kind of a a strange uh, couple of paragraphs. Um, There are ideas in there that seem like they don't belong beside one another. And I I hope uh, in, oh wow, super late, sorry. I hope to really briefly uh, bring some clarity to this. And I think the key is, is verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. So this, I think, uh, gets to the heart of what John is seeing in the congregations that he, he's writing to. He's seeing an idolatry that has taken place. Um, we, if, if idolatry is kind of a, a, a weird thing, um, we did a whole series on it. It was called Image. Um, and an idol is anything that takes God's place in your heart. An idol is anything that takes God's place in your heart. So it doesn't have to be a bad thing, and it doesn't have to be like a carved image that you bow down and pray to. Like an idol could be good things. You could make an idol of your church attendance. If you have perfect church attendance and like that's the thing that you like really put your trust in, that has taken God's place in your heart, and that's an idol. Uh, if raising your kids right has, is like the only source of like your life, then that has taken the place of God in your life, and that is an idol. There are good things that we should bring into uh, in, uh, we should bring into our life with God, but we need to keep God 
in the rightful place of steering the ship. He's saying, little children, I love you. Keep yourselves from idols. Don't let idols build up in your heart. What are the things that are going to distract us? Um, He says, look, I want you guys to know that you have eternal life. And when you talk to God, God listens to you. And if he hears you, then he's going to answer your prayers. He's going to answer your prayers according to his will. So the things that he wants done in the world that you ask him to do, he's going to do. And there's a whole lot that we could unpack there. Um, But then he says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give life to him. Those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So what do we do here? Like, I thought all sin, like, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and, and sin is like the thing that excludes us. Yes, it is. He says all wrongdoing is sin. There is not a category of sin which God is okay with. And yet, God understands that his good creation now has a virus in the operating system. The things that he made good has been corrupted by sin in the world, and he understands that we have to live our lives in a fallen world. And so there's the perfect law of God. The way that God meant for everything to work, like that creation is good, but we're not there right now. Jesus came to restore us to that and to make it better, but that's not where we're at today. So we've got this perfect law that the sin corrupted, and so now we're down here, and we're kind of like living life in plan B, where we come to God and we say, hey, God, what is it that you would want for me to do in this? Well, what I would like for you to do is what you didn't do like 10 steps ago. But since we're here, like, let's figure out what the best way to move forward is. Um, Jewish law actually had a, a category of this. I think it's called mishpat, uh, the, the, the Hebrew word. They had a category of like the law when you didn't follow the law the first time, right? And that's kind of where we're at. So John is saying, hey, look, like if you see a brother who's committing a sin, like you should pray for him. And God is gonna God's gonna work in his heart and do that. There are like, but but think about the like the severity of the sin. Like, don't go and, and pray for, uh, don't only pray for things. There are some things that you're gonna have to confront and ask them to like. You need to deal with these things because these things are gonna kill you. But you don't have to fight over every little thing that you disagree with your brother on. Hold on, let me say that again, America. You don't have to fight over every little thing that you disagree with your brother on. I was hoping for a hallelujah or something. You don't have to fight over every little thing. Like, it's okay for us to come to different conclusions about stuff. There are things that that don't actually matter. There's sin that, yes, is wrong, but it doesn't lead to death. Like, maybe, uh, okay, uh, sorry. So John's just saying, hey, look, guys, we're in a fallen world. We're all doing the best we can. We're all yoked to Jesus. We're all trying to figure this out. We know that his burden is easy, and we're not responsible for the results. Like, but hey, like, let's show some grace to one another. But also, hey, I love you enough to say, yo, you're killing yourself by walking down this road. There's, there's both, and, and we need the Spirit of God to tell us what to do. Lord, pray. <laughs> Lord, would you lead us in wisdom before we post, please? I don't don't need your hot takes. I'm just going to say it. Because we know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who's born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. So we've got to deal with some of these categories. But this is the thing that I think that sometimes we forget. Uh, Jesus assures us that we're gods as we walk in his light together. 
I don't think you can know for sure that you're following Jesus well by yourself. I think there's a degree of community that's necessary. And even monks in monasteries practicing solitude gather for meals and have community and fellowship among themselves. America, we need one another. And Jesus assures us that we're God's as we walk in his light together. We were not made to navigate life by ourselves. So what must we lay aside in order to follow Jesus well? It could be the idolatry of, like, independence, of, like, I don't need nobody. I can do this myself. Say, no, I need need some help with this. Will people pray with me about this? It might be uh, an addiction, or it might be uh, uh, just a, a good idol, a, a good thing that we've turned into an idol. Like, hey, but, but Jesus assures us that we're God's as we follow him and walk in his light together. Like, we invite one another in. What do we need to lay aside in order to follow Jesus well? Not because God just wants to be a wet blanket on your life and take away all the things that you enjoy. That's, he's actually, <laughs> he actually loves you a lot, and he actually is a good father, and he actually wants good things for you. But some of the things that we think are going to be helpful to us actually aren't. We've, we've probably all seen uh, the desire, the strong desire that kids have for like stuff that's bad for them. Like, I really just want to like grab the stove while it's hot. I don't know why. Maybe because mom just told me not to. Like, that's when I got to have it. I just got to have it. And we know it's not good for you. There are sometimes things that we get fixated on that we feel like we need it, but it's going to hurt us. And so if God's asking us to lay something aside so that we can follow him, well, it's not because he's trying to be a wet blanket. It's because he is the source of eternal life. And he wants to give us that and help us to participate in it with him. And Jesus assures us that we're God's as we walk in his light together. Let's pray. God, would you shine your light on the idols in our heart this morning? Whatever it is that comes to mind when we suggest um, that it be taken away. No, I can't live without that. Like that, that's a pretty good indicator that that's an idol for us. That it's taken your place in our lives. And so, God, would you just shine your light on those things? We acknowledge together this morning that every good and perfect gift comes from you that these things that we've turned into idols maybe aren't necessarily bad things. Maybe they're blessings from heaven from you, and yet we've just given them the wrong priority. Lord Jesus, we want to follow you. Would you give us the faith to believe that you are who you say you are? Would you grow in us the desire to follow you in obedience for the things that you ask of us? 
would you fill us with your grace to express that faith with your love? This isn't, this isn't stuff that we can do by ourselves, Jesus. We need, we need you to fill us. We need you to walk this out in us. We need you to surround us with your family to journey together with as we put you first. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So this um, sermon isn't meant to be like the end-all, be-all. I mean, you heard me say a couple of times there's like four or five sermons I didn't preach in that. Um, there's more to talk about. And there's more to discuss. This is actually supposed to be a starting point and not a conclusion. So here's some questions that we asked, um, and we're going to take a few minutes just to sit with them and reflect on them and see how God's speaking this morning and directing us. Um, but it might also be... Uh, a good call for us to gather some people around a table and, and, and share these conversations, to share our heart about it. Um, but let's just take a few minutes and reflect and uh, before we close together and sing it.